your hands. You got one of these? You ever use one of these outside of church? I'm just curious. Anybody ever open it up? Praise the Lord. Well, you have yours with you this morning. Turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 2. 2 Kings chapter 2. Give me just a little more monitor, if you will, Bill. Not a lot, but just a little and make sure I'm louder on the stage than I am in the congregation. I can always come down there and scream if I have to, but I don't want to be too loud. Amen. Amen. I want to talk to you today about a new season. It, it dawned on me as I've been working my way the last few days through 1 Kings and 2 Kings. It dawned on me that God often attempts to bring a new season into our life. And we miss it because we don't know what to do with it. You know, I don't know if you remember a few years back, Israel Houghton sang a song, There's a New Season. It's a new season. It's a new day. How many of you remember that? Fresh anointing coming my way. Did that come from the Hilbert section over there? That's what I want to know. Here a couple of weeks ago, Greg walked out on me while I was singing. And now Stephanie apparently is trying to silence my voice as well. <laughs> I will not shut up. <laughs> oh, he sang this beautiful song about it's a new season. I remember standing in Knoxville, Tennessee, the first time I really ever heard that song with a group of teenagers at Winterfest, thousands upon thousands of these young people singing, it's a new season, it's a new day. And I remember being moved so deeply by the Spirit of the Lord and knowing that God was bringing me into a new season. <clears throat> and my prayer was, God, let me be ready to walk in that new season. Let me be ready to receive it and to experience it in the fullness of your spirit. And it was after that that the Lord brought us here to Louisville, Kentucky. And I've been experiencing a new season. And I am so very grateful for all of the ways that God has shown up and proved himself to be faithful. But so often, God wants to do a new season in your life. And if you are not attuned to the voice of the Spirit, you will miss it. It will pass you by. And if you do sense that God is wanting to do something different in your life and new in your life, you miss it because you don't understand the principles of God's Word that you need to attach yourself to so that it can be released in your spirit. So I'm going I'm to try to release something to you today in the Spirit that if you'll catch it and if you'll receive it, I promise you it will take you into a new season in your life. It's not because pastor said it, but it's because it's the spirit of the Lord doing a new thing in us. So let's look now at 2 Kings chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. It says, now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind... Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Please stay here, 
For the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel and the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, I know it. Keep quiet. And Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. And the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he answered and he said, Yes, I know. Keep quiet. Then Elijah Elijah said to him, Please stay here. For the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. And so the two of them went on and 50 men at the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them and as they both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took the cloak and rolled it up and struck the water and the water was parted to the one side and to the other till the two of them could go over on dry ground. And when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let there be a double portion of your spirit upon me. And he said, You have asked a hard thing. Yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they still went and talked, behold, chariots of fire and Horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven, and Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen, and he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes, and he tore them in two pieces, and he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him, and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and he struck the water saying, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other and Elisha went over. Now when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho saw him opposite them, they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him. And they bowed to the ground before him. And they said to him, Behold now, there are with your servants 50 strong men. Please let them go and seek your master. It may be that the Spirit of the Lord has caught him up and cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. And he said, You shall not sin." But when they urged him till he was ashamed, he said, sent. And they sent there for 50 men. And for three days they sought Elijah, but did not find him. 
And they came back to him while he was staying at Jericho. And he said to them, did I not say to you, do not go? In other words, he was saying, I told you so. And now the men of the city said to Elisha, Behold, the situation of this city is pleasant, as my Lord sees, but the water is bad, and the land is unfruitful. And he said, Bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. And so they brought it to him, and then he went to the spring of water, and they, he threw salt in it and said, Thus saith the Lord, I have healed this water. And from now on, neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it. So the water has been healed even to this day according to the word that Elisha spoke. And he went up from there to Bethel. And while he was going up on the way, some small boys came out of the city and they jeered at him saying, Go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. And he turned around. And when he saw them, he cursed them in the name of the Lord. And two she-bears came out of the woods and tore 42 of the boys. From there, he went on to Mount Carmel. And from there, he returned to Samaria. Father, thank you for your word. It's powerful. And it is about to be released in such a way that your people are going to hear it and receive it into their spirit. And Lord, I believe that today a new season is going to break forth in someone's life today. Lord, it's not just going back to a season that they've once experienced, but it is an addition to that. It is a movement forward from that. It is a season unlike any they've ever experienced before. And it's going to come from your hand, by your hand, through your spirit, and their life will never be the same because of the work that you will do in them this day. Now, Lord, will you please help me, your servant, to represent your heart properly, to use words of understanding that will reveal your will to your people. Lord, I ask it in Jesus' name so that you might receive all of the glory. Amen and amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, a new season, a new season. A new season. Amen. I don't know about you, but I'm one of those kind of people that I don't like to just stay in a stagnant place in my life. I just cannot stand to sit by and do the same thing day after day after day. And particularly when those things are not good. Particularly when bad things are going on in my life and in my family's life. I don't know about you, but I can't sit still for that, particularly when I know that I have been equipped to overcome everything that I will ever face in my life. Why would I sit back and let the devil beat me up and have victory over me when all I have to do is declare the promises of God in my life and speak the word of God and the anointed word over him and my life will change for the better because of the spirit of God that is in me. Why would I want to stay in a place of defeat? And, and even more, why 
when I want to be in a place of victory and then walk away from it and go back to a place of defeat? Why would I want to go back to something that has stolen so much of my joy and stolen so much of my spiritual energy? Why would I want to leave that place where I've been walking in the fullness of the Spirit and somehow slide back into a lifestyle that is detrimental to my growth? Why would I want to do it? And the bottom line is, is that it's my flesh that wants to do it. It's just like the Israelites when they're standing at the, at, the, at the sea waiting for it to open. And they said, oh, let us go back because at least there we had some leeks and onions to eat. They wanted to go back to a lifestyle that was comfortable for them. But it wasn't what God wanted for them. Let me challenge you today to get some spiritual energy and some legs under yourself and stand yourself up and declare, I am moving forward in the name of the Lord God Almighty. I am not going to stay in my defeat, but I'm going to overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of my testimony. This passage of scripture that we read today is one where Israel's in transition. In fact, if you read in 2 Kings, you'll see that there is king after king after king after king after king that is appointed, almost to the point that it gets monotonous reading about all of the kings. Some of them came, and the scripture says, they did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. And then one would come, and it would say he did what was good in the eyes of the Lord. And there was this constant up and down and this ebb and flow of good and bad and and righteousness and evil and blessing and favor and then discouragement and frustration and and it was this constant thing and then God began to bring Elijah's um, time of prophetic vision to an end and he begins to put in his heart that a new season is coming. A new season is coming and so Elisha now steps into the picture. So today I want to talk about Elisha for a few minutes because he is the hope, if you will, of this new season, not within himself, but because God is going to anoint him and empower him in such a way that the new season will will go forward under his leadership. So there are three observations that I want to make with you today in this passage of Scripture. The first thing that I want you to see is that Elisha was called. You remember a few weeks ago, John Medcraft calling me on my cell phone while I was preaching, and I didn't answer it for about three or four times. And finally, on about the fourth or fifth time, I answered the call, and I said to you, God can call you every day of your life multiple times a day. But until you're willing to pick up the phone and answer the call of God upon your life, you will never walk in that place that God has for you. And God has victory for you today. And every day of your life, he's trying to put victory in your life. He's trying to order every step that you take so that you walk in favor and walk in victory and walk in blessing. But if you don't answer the call, then you'll never receive the blessing. He was called. Now there are three components to this calling that I want you to see. I need for you to take your Bibles now and go back, if you will, to 1 Kings 
chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19, and look with me, if you will, at verses 19, 20, and 21. Is it okay if I use the Bible? You don't mind, do you? Okay, I just wanted to make sure we were here for the right reasons. 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 19 through 21. Now remember, we're talking about the call. And here's the point I want you to get first, is that this call upon Elisha's life was a call that came in the spirit realm. It originated with God. It was not made up by man. But God declared a thing and set it into motion. And we see here in chapter 19, beginning at verse 19, so he departed from there and he found Elisha, the son of Japhath, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was with the 12. Elijah Elijah passed by him, and he cast his cloak upon him, and he left the oxen, and he ran after Elijah, and he said, let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, go back. For what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people. And they ate. And then he arose and he went after Elijah and he served him. He assisted him. Now, you remember when Elijah is on the mountain and the Lord comes to him and in a state of depression, Elijah is and the Lord comes to him and, and there's a wind and there's an earthquake and, and there's this fire and there's this, there's this rumbling. But the scripture says that the Lord spoke to him in a still, small voice. And when it was all over, the Lord spoke to him and he said, I want you to go anoint a new king and I want you to go anoint Elisha who will take your place. That's what we just read. We read the living out of the, of the word of God that was spoken to Elijah. So it originated in the spirit. Can I tell you that there are people sitting in this, in this room today under, under my voice? You can remember a time when the spirit of the Lord spoke to you and spoke a prophetic word over you and gave you a promise that you held on to. It was a promise that kept you going. It was a promise that steadied you. It was a promise that gave you the strength to make it another day. But life has stolen that promise from you. Let me tell you something. Once God originates something in the spirit realm, it becomes our responsibility to grab that word and hold on to that word and give it an opportunity to take place in our lives. Don't you abandon your dream and don't you abandon your vision and don't you abandon the word that the Spirit spoke to you. If it originated in the Spirit, it will be good for eternity. It originated in the Spirit. Secondly, it required a sacrifice from him. The Scripture says that when Elijah spoke to him, he said, let me go kiss mom and dad and then I'll follow you. Now, 
Elijah said, go ahead, for what have I done to you? What, what that means is, is that I didn't come to create trouble. I didn't come to, to cause a, 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 a division between you and your family. Go kiss your mom and dad. Absolutely. There's nothing wrong with kissing your mom and dad and saying goodbye to them. But then come back and follow. And he came back to follow. But before they left, the scripture says that he burned his plow and he sacrificed his oxen. There was no more plow and there was no more oxen to go back to. Some of us like to keep a plan B on the side just in case plan A doesn't work out. Let me tell you, some of you today have never gotten to that place of blessing that God wants for you because you've always got a plan B in your side pocket. I already asked the prayer team to help me not be mean today. I did, honest to goodness. I said, I got a word that I got to say today, but I want the Lord to help me to not be mean. But let me tell you today that as long as you keep plan B in your side pocket, you will never commit to plan A. Because plan A means that you've got to sacrifice everything for the sake of the kingdom of God. You've got to be willing to lay it all down for the sake of Jesus Christ if you're ever going to walk in the fullness that he has for you. You can't pussyfoot around with plan B when God's best will for you is plan A. Throw it away, child of God, and square your shoulders and say, God, I don't have a plow to go back to. I don't have an oxen to sacrifice anymore. I don't have a bean to eat. But God, you said you'd take care of me, and I'm going to walk in your plan for my life. If it costs me everything. Let me tell you, I know a little bit about sacrifice, and I'm not up here bragging, but I, it costs to follow the Lord. It costs to accept the call of God upon your life. And I'm not just talking about preachers here today. I'm talking about parents who may be trying to raise children. Listen, you can't be their friend and their parent at the same time. There comes a time... That you're going to have to say, I can't be buddies with you today because I'm getting ready to take a chunk out of your backside. But it's because I love you and it's because I want what's best for you. I can't go get a cappuccino with you right now because I'm going to pop a cap on your backside. That's what we're doing right now. I'm going to take your phone away from you. I'm going to take your iPad away from you. I'm going to take all your Pokemon from you. I'm going to take everything that brings you pleasure because that is not what's going to work good in your life right now. Discipline will. So I don't know, Pastor. I've tried. I've whooped them. I've screamed at them. I've hollered at them. Listen, I'm here to tell you that God says that if we discipline our children, it will work. The, the word says if we, if, we, if we spare the rod, we will spoil the child. The, the word of God tells us uh, that if we train them up in the way they should go, we may not see it manifest right this very minute, but there will come a day when they will be confronted uh, with the word of God in their lives uh, and they will be prone to choose it and follow Christ. You got to sacrifice something. You have to sacrifice something to be walking in the will of the Lord. You can't straddle the fence. 
You can't have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. It just doesn't work that way. Because the foot you've got in the world is going to rot off by the sin of the world. You can't play this game on two courts. You've got to be willing to say, I'll sacrifice it all for the kingdom of God if that's what it requires. I'll burn the bridges behind me. I'll burn my plow. I'll sacrifice my oxen and I'll follow you. Jesus said to his disciples, he said, you go preach. Don't you take anything with you. Don't you worry about having money in your pocket. Don't you worry about having food in your satchel. You just go. Don't worry about what you're going to say. Because when the time comes, my anointing will come upon you. And you will speak in such a way that the word of God will go forth with power. You've got to sacrifice. And then you've got to be willing to serve somebody. I, and for those of you on Facebook, one of the funniest things I've seen in a long time was a guy. He's got a chair dolly, and he's got a bunch of chairs stacked up on it. And, and the mem says something like this. You say you called to preach, and you can't even stack a chair. I like that. You see, we live in a world today where ministry has become important. We got so many VIPs. I, I want to preach like Rod Parsley. And I want to, or I want to preach like Paula White. I'll tell you what I want to do. I want to be who God has called me to be. That's the only thing I care about. I don't want to be Ray Hughes. <laughs> He's dead. I don't want to be T.L. Lowry. He's gone on to his reward. I don't want to be any of those guys. I want to be William, Robert, Baker, Jr., born on January the 9th, 1959, called of God, set forth by him to declare the words of life to people who are dying and need to hear those words. I just want to be who I am. I just want to be who I am. But serving is required. The scripture says that Elisha was willing to serve Elijah. I remember when we were young in ministry, and I was thinking about it early this morning. I have spent more time, Pastor Jerry, serving under someone than I have being a lead position. Six years on staff at churches before I started pastoring, and 15 years in state administrative work, but under the authority of an administrative bishop. 15 and 6, last time I checked, was 21 years. At 21 years of my life, I've been listening to somebody else say, do this, Rob. Do that, Rob. Go here, Rob. Go there, Rob. Help me with the vision that God has given me. And I have served. And I have served faithfully. And I have put seed in the ground. And it has always occurred to me that if I put beans in the ground, I'm going to get a crop of beans. And if I, put, if, if I put watermelon in the ground, I'm going to get a crop of watermelon. If I sow seeds of service for someone else, at some point in my life, God's going to raise up people around me who will serve the vision that he has given me. I've already told you today, Donna and I can't do everything. 
and the longer we're here, the older she'll get. And the older that she gets, the less she's going to be able to do. And the less she's going to be able to do, the more you're going to have to step up and find your role in the kingdom of God. But God hasn't asked us to do it all ourselves. He's put you in the body of Christ to to stand up and serve the kingdom of God. Oh, there's great temptation when you're serving someone else to want to have their position. I remember the last position that I had as an associate. I was serving a pastor, one of the finest men that I know, one of the best pastors I've ever served under. He could not preach his way out of a wet paper bag. And he knew it. He was smart enough and wise enough to know it. And he would bring speakers in to fill the pulpit on a regular basis. And he loved those people. He sat with them when they were hurting. He cried with them when they were crying. He hurt with them when they were hurting. He rejoiced with them when they were rejoicing. He dedicated their babies. He he went to their kids' graduations. He was one of the best pastors I've ever known. But in the last year or so of our our time there, he asked me to take the young adults. He said, we need some strength among our young adults. Would you take the Sunday school class and see what you can do with it? And the Lord helped us. And we went back on Sunday mornings with just a handful of young adults. And before long, we had two handfuls. And before that, we had four handfuls. And before that, we had 50 couples in the fellowship hall who were worshiping in that Sunday school class and some of those knuckle-headed young adults came to me and they said, you should be the pastor. I wanted to be a pastor, brother. Brother, no. But I didn't want to get started that way. Let me tell you, when you start with poison, that poison will eventually find its way into whatever it is that you do. I don't understand these young pastors. They don't mind stealing a few members and going down the road and starting something else. Now, we don't have that here. We don't have that here, but I see it all the time. Do you know what I did? I said to them, "Uh uh-uh. There is no way that I could ever give you the quality of pastoral ministry that that man right there is giving you every day of his life. He is your pastor. I am not And furthermore, I would never want to pastor somebody like you who's willing to throw him in the dumpster so that I can stand in his pulpit. And we went to Galesburg, Illinois, me and my three and 20 others, and we started serving the Lord in pastoral ministry. Let me tell you, if God's calling you to do something, you do it the right way. You do it according to his plan. You do it in his spirit. You follow his word. And if you'll do that, God will bless you. Elisha said, I know I'm called. But right now, I'm not called to lead. I'm called to follow and serve. And not only was he called, but the second observation that I want to make today is that Elisha was confident. He was confident. My wife this week, I was giving her a hard time. 
Look at that. I heard what you said. Look at my water. It's falling out in the spirit. You see that? After she had had about enough, she turned around to me and she said, I wish you'd stop acting like an 11-year-old boy. She said, why do you embarrass me in public? I mean, we go to the store, and I'll get in the grocery aisle, and she'll be down at one end, and she'll see me, and I'll start going. <laughs> she'll say, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. We'll be at the stoplight. I'll reach over and put that thing in park and look at her, look over at her and go, I'm just warming you up, baby. She said, would you stop acting like an 11-year-old? I just tell you, I'm just confident, baby. I, I just got it all over me. I got it going. You know, I'm not, how many of you know there's a difference between cutting up and having fun and being honest to goodness, arrogant, Are being confident. Elisha was confident. Now we've already read it, but we see three things in 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And the first thing that we see is a spirit of discernment upon Elisha. He was able to discern the time and the situation. Elijah came to him and he said, listen. He said, the Lord has told me to go here. And he said, you stay here. And Elisha said, as long as the Lord lives and as long as you're alive, I'm going to be right here beside you. And then the prophets came and they said, don't you know that today they're going to, your master is going to take Elijah away from you. And he said, yeah, I know that. Why don't you just be quiet? And then another time, Elijah says, why don't you stay here because God has called me to go somewhere else. And Elisha discerned, I've got to stay close to this man. Something's about to happen. Something's about to shift. Something is about to turn. I cannot let him out of my sight. He said, as long as you're alive and as long as the Lord, and the Lord lives and you're alive, I will not go. I will not leave you. And the prophets came back and they said, don't you know today that your God is going to take Elijah away from you? And he said, yes, I know. Be quiet. He comes again. The Lord wants me to go here. You stay here. Same process. But the discernment kept him positioned for anointing. Now listen to me. There are going to be times that you have to make a decision. And you should always be willing to move where the Spirit is or to stay where the Spirit is. The key factor is, where is the Spirit? Where is God moving? I don't pray, God, this is what we're doing here at Spirit Life. Will you bless it? I say, God, what are you blessing? And let spirit life get under that flow of anointing. 
Because it's not about me. It's about him. It's about what he wants. And so finally, you know the story. Elijah says, well, you stay here. I'm going on. I'm going with you, Elijah said. And they come to the waters, and the scripture says that there are 50 prophets that are standing there, and they're watching. But they're standing back quite a distance. But I could preach there all day. There are a lot of people in this church. They're, they're perfectly happy just to stand by, not a long way from the distance, and just watch and see what's going on. I don't want to get up where the Spirit is moving. I don't want to stay back far enough that I can still observe it and see it. But I don't want to get close enough that it can touch me. Well, let me tell you something. Your party ain't never going to be as good as mine. When you're always standing back in the corner watching somebody else shout and watching somebody else pray and watching somebody else prophesy and watching someone else teach and watching someone else sing and watching someone else, your party is never going to compare to those who are willing to say, if I've got to walk through this water, if that's where the anointing of the Spirit is, I'm going through discernment, determination. I'm not going to quit. I will not give up. You know what causes us to have that kind of determination? It's desire. It's desire. Can I ask you a question today? What do you desire most in your life? What is the thing that every day you wake up and you... You just crave it. You want it. You've got to have it. I need it. Today. I'll pay whatever price I have to pay to get it. What is your desire? Can I remind you that your desire should be the righteousness of God and the kingdom of God and the things of God? Last time I checked, my Bible still says, seek ye first. Not last. Not in the middle. I got myself in trouble. So now I need to go seek something that will get me out of trouble. You would have never gotten in trouble in the first place if you'd have been seeking the righteousness of God. Seek ye first the righteousness of God. And all the other stuff that you desire and need will be added to you. What do you desire? What do you desire? What do you desire? What church do you desire? Because what you desire is what will lead you. What you desire is what will, what will move you. What you desire is what will put Passion in your soul. What you desire. If you're desiring promotions at work, those aren't bad. But if that's the only desire that you have every day, your mind will be tuned to what can I do to get a, a, a promotion at work. Instead of saying, God, 
you, you know my needs. You know everything about me. You know whether or not that job will be good for me or not. It may be that that door needs to be closed. It may be that you'll decide to open that door to me. It really doesn't matter to me because I know I am your child and you're going to take care of me and you're going to meet every need that I have and I don't want to make a bad decision and walk through a door, God, that you meant to close. You shut the door and I banged the window open so that I could get through to the other side and possess what you never intended me to have. What do you desire? Elisha desired a double anointing, a double portion. Do you know what that literally means? Scholars have They've translated that as, Elijah, I want you to give me a double portion. And that's accurate. But what it really meant was is that Elisha was saying, I want the portion to come to me that would normally come to the first heir. That was the first heir in those days. The first heir received double the inheritance than anyone else. So there were three children. The firstborn son received the double inheritance. And then the other children inherited based on where they were in the family. And so when Elijah said to Elisha, What can I do for you before I leave? Elisha knew exactly what he wanted. He didn't fumble around with words. He didn't say, oh, I don't care. I just know that whatever you do for me will be good. Ain't no big deal. I'm just little humble little me. I don't know. God said to Solomon in the dream, he said, you can have anything you want. What do you want? He could add riches. He could have had everything that his mind could conceive of. But he said to God, he said, I just want to have wisdom to be able to do what you've called me to do. He chose the spiritual desire over the fleshly desire. Let me tell you, you need to know what it is that you need to have in your life to break the cycle of up and down and in and out, there's a piece of information that has not come to you yet. And once you get your hands wrapped around that truth, the truth will set you free. Elijah said, what do you need for me to do for you before I go? He didn't say, well, you know, foolishly, I, I burned my plow, so I may need another plow. And, and foolishly, I killed my oxen. And if I ever have to go back home, I'm not going to have any oxen to pull my plow so that I can plant my crops. And uh, he could have lived in the past, but he knew that the past was gone because God was leading him into a new season. And he said, I want the first heir's inheritance. I want a double portion, Father, or Elijah, of the anointing that was upon you. I want it to come on me. 
And he said, if you see me when I'm gone, listen, you've asked for something very difficult, something very hard, but if you see me when I'm gone, it shall be even as you have requested. Oh, my goodness. What is your desire? What do you desire? So, well, pastor, did it work? Did it? Did it work? Did it happen? Brother Baker, I've been praying for something for many, many years and it ain't happened yet. I'm pertinent ready to give it up. Well, if you're pertinent ready to give it up, don't you ever expect to receive it. Hebrews said there were some that spent their whole life expecting to see something from the hand of the Lord and they never saw it in this lifetime. But there's another life that's coming after this one. Did it work? Well, let's see if it worked. You see, the final observation that I want to make, come on, come on and help me quit, Sister Dinah. Lord's not done with you yet either. <laughs> he was called, he was confident, and Elisha was confirmed by the Spirit of God. You know what I'm sick and tired of? Can I just rant for just a minute? This is not even on Facebook. I promise I won't put it on Facebook. I'm just going to rant right here for just a minute if that's okay with you. I'm sick and tired of presidential candidates telling me what they're going to do. And I don't have any other, I don't have any way of knowing whether they're going to do it or not. President Obama, Obama and I, 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 I speak respectfully to the position he told us eight years he was going to do certain things. Here we are eight years later. You know what I want to know? Did he do it? I'm sure he did some things he didn't intend to do. But did he do what he said he would do? I don't know. Now before you think I'm going to get political here, I'm sick and tired of hearing preachers get up and prophesy stuff. And I don't have any idea whether or not what they're saying is true or not. And I feel like all they're trying to do is work me up to a lather and get me afraid of something that might happen. You know what I want to hear today? I want to hear what is God doing? I want to see it with my eyes. I want to know beyond any shadow of a doubt that God is doing in his people what he said he would do. And they go across the river. Can I go preach down here since you guys are all going to be up here? You don't mind? Can I do it? They go across the river. Elijah takes his mantle, takes it off. They're down there, there by the water. Elisha's standing right beside him. He takes his mantle off. Boom! 
that easy. And the heavens open up and horses come down and chariots of fire. And Elijah is whisked away by the Spirit of God. And as Elijah is going away, Elisha can't even see him. And the scripture says, when he's gone, the scripture says, Elisha never saw him again. Done. Gone. Over. Finito. Oh, no. of a sudden from the heavenlies the mantle of Elijah I almost wanted to jump down there man I'm telling you I felt like I could have done it thank God for wisdom amen oh hallelujah can have him because God also left behind what he promised we could have this is no longer the mantle of Elijah it is now the mantle of Elisha what do you think he did I don't know if it's the right size I don't like the color I look better in black I need to take one of those color me beautiful classes so that I can know kind of makeup I should wear with my mantle now. What do you think he did? I don't know. What do you think he did? I'm going to tell you what he did. Bible tells us what he did. He reached down and he grabbed up that mantle. And he walked over there and he said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? Where is the Lord God that raised the dead for Elijah? Where is the Lord God that caused the ladies' pots to continue to be filled as long as she poured the oil? Where is the Lord God of Elijah when he laid his corpse, his body upon the corpse corpse of the little Shunammite lady's son? Where is the Lord God of Israel that did all that he did for Elijah? Where is that God? I'm going to tell you something right now. I am not going to I am not going to spend the rest of my life in ministry just tiddly winking around with the kingdom of God when we have the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit within us and we have the power to move mountains in Jesus name if we're walking in the north mountain mountain get out of my way mountain of cancer move mountain of diabetes 
Move, mountain of arthritis. Move, mountain of depression. Move, mountain of discouragement. Move, mountain of divorce. Move, mountain, move, mountain, move, mountain, move. Where, where is the Lord God of Elijah? There he is. He never went anywhere. The same God that moved the waters back for Elijah, he's the same God that will move the waters back for us. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm sorry, Judy. Man, I messed that thing all up today. I sweated in it. I wrinkled it. Let me tell you something. Elisha was not satisfied with that. He's standing there, and here comes those little smart mouth prophets by. They said, well, maybe he's not really gone. Maybe God just picked him up and moved him on the other side of the mountain. Why don't we go look for him? And Elisha said, you don't need to go look for him. Don't go. And they just kept on and kept on and kept on and kept on. Some of you are thinking about somebody right now. That if they just leave you alone, you could walk in victory a lot better than you're doing right now. Well, let me tell you the way that Elisha dealt with the smart mouth prophets. He said, listen, you're just embarrassing me the way that you're acting. I'm ashamed of you. You need to just go and see if you can find him. Bible says they looked for three days they uncovered rocks they looked behind trees they looked in caves they looked on the other side of the mountain they were looking for something that never was going to manifest because God had brought in a new season and they came back and they said Elisha we can't find him and Elisha said I told you so I told you not to go I told you if you'd have just listened. No, you don't want to listen, though. You want to do things your way. And because you did, you wasted three days of your time. I don't know if he said all that or not, but if I'd have been Elisha, I'd have said that and a little bit more. So I told you, don't go. And then about that time, they came, and they said, oh, the water, the water, we can't drink the water. The water's no good. It's bitter. It's no good. And Elisha said, go get me a brand-new bowl. Don't give me a used one. Go down to Walmart now and get me a brand new one. I need a brand new one and put a little salt in it. And he brings them the bowl, the brand new bowl and the salt. And Elisha goes over to the water and he reaches down in the salt and he takes them out and he throws it in the water and he says, Thus saith the Lord. <laughs> This water will never be bitter again. Never again will it bring death and miscarriage to anyone in this community because God is putting life where death once ruled. I said, boy, that's good stuff. Oh, I ain't done yet. I told you I'm going to preach a long time today. 
But I am moving to a close because I've moved down here. So that usually means I'm closing. These boys come, come out of the mountains, the scripture says. Hey, Baldy! I'm just quoting scripture to you today now. I'm just quoting, I'm just quoting scripture to you now. Baldy! Hey, Baldy! You know what? If I'd have been there, they'd have been saying, Hey, ugly! Ugly! Hey, fatty! They were trying to embarrass the man of God. You know what they were trying to do? They were trying to steal his self-esteem. They were trying to destroy his confidence. They were trying to make him think, every time I get ready to work on, the, on behalf of the kingdom of God, I'm going to worry about now not having any hair. I'm going to worry now about being overweight. I'm going to worry now about being ugly. I'm going to worry now about not being able to talk properly. I'm going to worry now about what somebody said to me 10 years ago. Why, you can't carry a tune in the bucket. Well, listen, if I can't carry a tune in the bucket, you can't carry a tune in the trailer of an 18-wheel truck. But I'm still going to sing the praises of the Lord because he has been good to me. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. What did he do? The scripture says he turned around and he cursed them in the name of the Lord. You will not prevent the will of the Lord from being accomplished. I curse it and it will come to an end. And the scripture says, some of you, you're going to have a hard time with this. You really are. But the scripture says two female bears came down out of the woods, out of the mountains, and mauled 42 of those young men. Now, let me tell you two things that make you maybe feel better about eating fried chicken at dinner, okay? Number one, the word that is used there in the Hebrew is not referencing small little children. It's referencing young adult men who are probably from 20 to 25 years of age and they should have been respecting their elders. And they were not. God was not killing children in this passage of Scripture. And the Hebrew word for maul here does not imply death. It implies injury. Now, don't you feel better? Now, you're going to get a double order of fried chicken to go along with the double anointing of Elisha. In other words, two things going on. Elisha saying, I don't care what the enemy throws in my pathway. It will not deter the work of the Lord that is going forth. Nothing, nothing, nothing 
will stall the move of God in my life. Nothing, nothing, nothing is empowered to come against the power of God that is living in me. Nothing, no power, nothing that raises itself against me can prosper. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Here's the principle. Elisha didn't curse them and then go maul them himself. He could have cursed them and then gone over there and pounded all 42 of them. I'm doing this in Jesus' name. No, he took authority over it by the words that he spoke in the Spirit. And God took care of the rest. Did you hear that? You speak the words that you need to speak in the Spirit. God will take care of the rest. Let me ask you something today. From that day forward, Elisha walked in a positive direction in his life. He experienced a level of spirituality that he had never experienced before. He walked in the flow of the anointing in his life. He walked in the flow of the anointing. Why would you, why would I, why would anyone want to experience the power of God and to experience and taste how good it is to be filled with the Spirit of God and to operate in His anointing. Why would anyone want to go back and pick up their plow and smack their oxen again? Why? Can I implore you today Listen carefully to me. I don't want to scream at anybody because I don't want you to feel like I'm angry or mad. If I'm angry, I'm mad at the right person, the right spirit. I'm mad at the devil, but I'm not mad at you. But listen, stop going back. Stop counting on your plan B. Walk in your plan A. Because in plan A, is where faith exists and works in our lives. Don't go back. Don't go back. Don't go back. for just a moment and I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes and I want you to pray pray in the spirit pray for yourself pray and listen to the words of this song as they sing and we're going to pray together in just a moment go ahead and sing if you will
something really weird today, but I really feel like the Lord's in asking me to do it. I've never done anything like this before in all the years of ministry. That <laughs> you all going to go home today and you're going to say, we have a stupid man for our pastor. Sometimes, and I really believe this, sometimes we have to do something in the flesh.